Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. UK Tech Weekly Podcast. Hello and welcome to the UK Tech Weekly Podcast for Friday the 19th of May. Uh, Although we're speaking to you from the past, uh, from yesterday to you now or though today for us. Anyway, today we've got a double feature. Um, We are going to talk to you about the Google I.O. developer conference uh, and all the exciting announcements from that. And we're also going to talk about uh, the WannaCry ransomware attack on the NHS and on others. So uh, we're looking at the best and the worst of technology. Um, I had a joke then, but I'm not going to use it because Tamlin... Looked at me dismissively when oh, I told on. them. No, no, I'm not going to do it. Now. You have to do it now. Well, it was one of those things where I was going to say about we're going to talk about how unscrupulous software developers are going to ruin your life, and also want to cry. Uh, um, you should have gone, gone with that. It'd been well. I've sort of done it now. Haven't I? Yeah. So, great. Um, without further ado, let me introduce our two speakers. Um, and if you like listening to young shy white men talking about technology, you're in for a treat. <laughs> Because we've got Henry Burrell, staff writer on Macworld and Tech Advisor. Hello. Hello. And Tamley McGee, online editor at Computer World and Tech World. Hello. Uh, let's talk. Henry Burrell, uh, you're looking... Hi. hi. You're looking very good. Were you, were you up late last night? Thanks. <laughs> doing a live blog? Yes. What was it about? It was about Google. Um we didn't go to the California one, uh, perhaps some of our colleagues over there did, but we went to the London Extended I.O., I.O. Extended, which uh, just means it's a live stream in a small room. Um, <laughs> so you, you were just watching it on there? <laughs> yeah, it was an official Google event, um, which they're doing in several countries around the world. Um, and we were just, yeah, just watching uh, the keynotes presented by all those Google execs. And it's got a bit of a... It's got a good reputation, actually. And I know, David, you love... Um, uh, the Steve Jobs and Phil Schiller and all that lot getting, getting up there. No, in the Apple. Uh, I like Federighi. Do you? So you Schiller. Schiller. Who likes Schiller? Don't know. I'm all about Federighi. Which one's he again? Federighi Fre- is hair. Hair Force One. Exactly. He's so you got you got people who <laughs> who are nicknamed Hair Force One and Microsoft's man with a hat. Did they actually let go recently? Roper. Yeah, he's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So, um, but Google do it quite well. They don't try and do an Apple thing because this isn't a hardware. Uh, conference. It's mainly developers. Um, I was in a minority um, <coughs> as a journalist there last night. Mostly people there for the developer community. Really, um, there, w- there wasn't a lot of press. Uh, not, not that I saw. Most, most people were just developers who were there to talk with peers. Uh, probably um, 
rival companies as well and then uh, there was a developer a keynote afterwards as well which i didn't stick around for because it would have been like watching something in a different language <laughs> um but the google, the google event was pretty cool i mean the best way to sum it up was that there was no hardware and most of the announcements are small incremental changes to software which isn't very sexy. hold on to your hats people not very sexy but it, a few of the things did ca- did catch my attention just because they're the sort of things that um we wax lyrical about Apple doing all the time to make things easier to do on your phone. And this is basically Google just trying to improve normal people's lives <laughs> in the way that they use their phone. Um, so where do you want me to start? I, I, I didn't think I there was lots about- to talk about, and I've written down eight things. That's <laughs> Don't worry. More than there. enough, isn't it? Should <laughs> yeah. we talk about Android first? Okay, cool. Yeah, Android O, the next letter in the alphabet. The company is now called Alphabet, actually. So that was... Is that why they're called that? I don't think so. Probably not. Maybe. Um, but... What does O stand for? They don't know yet. Probably Oreo, because that seems easy. But they haven't still They actually, announced. they had big um, piles of, I don't know, giveaway, something that you were maybe going to use later. But they, they had a big big pile of Oreo biscuits at the event. They did. Um, Apparently they also had those last year, though. Of Oreo? Yeah. Oh. Well, that ruins my whole <laughs> extrapolation it's, 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 from that. Yeah, but it probably will be called that. Um, did they also have piles of orange Skittles? And, uh, keep I going, can't think of keep going. What, there isn't anything else, is there? Um, no. Uh, oranges? Um, opal fruit. Is, opal fruit. This is gold radio. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, sorry, Dead air, is. isn't it? Um, so yes, what's the, new about Android O? So there's a boring way to break it down, which they started with, which is turning Android O and saying it's all about two things, this new update. Um, fluid experiences and vitals. And mm-hmm. you kind of go, oh, come on, Google, what, what is that? And they started talking about... But the fluid experiences thing is just meaning there's some new stuff that it can do that it couldn't do before it's quite an incremental <laughs> have you ever considered a job in marketing uh <laughs> no um so the, the two things the before. two things that they said were like a, a new easier way to do multi-window so if you're watching a youtube video you can quickly tap and the video will just disappear um so the screen will disappear and then you have a small window which you can drag really easily around the screen while you do other things so this is picture in picture picture in picture and i'm not and i promise i'm not sniping here but is, no, no. It, it looks the same as the picture in picture that you got in ios uh <laughs> And I'm not a sniper, I promise. No, I just want to see if it are. works in the same way. Because the... I don't know if it was iOS 9 or iOS 10 that got picture-in-picture. Picture. I think it was iOS 9. Um, and it can sit in any either of the four... Any of the four corners. You sort of swipe it. And okay. It, it jumps... It snaps to one of those four corners. It probably, it it probably is quite like that, yeah. Um, and I, I believe that... Am I right in saying that the YouTube app used to do that? But now they've extended it across the operating system to other things. The YouTube app has a thing where if you're watching in portrait mode, you can drag the video from the top of the screen to the bottom and right. then search the rest of the YouTube app. Okay. But you haven't been able to go into other parts of the phone while still watching a video before, gotcha. I believe. Um, and there are other things. Uh, Google, um, Android doesn't usually have little notification bubbles like you know the little red things when you've got 800 million unread emails on iOS. 40,000. 40, is that your number? I'm on yeah. 300,000 just don't we it's not 47,455 47, <laughs> wow the, the YouTube thing does that mean you can have it running in the background yeah so like you can start watching a video on your phone and then drag the window to another part of the screen then go into another app and do other stuff would you be able to have it on standby while you've got YouTube playing because that would just kill Spotify for me it'd be great ah I don't know good point probably not probably when you lock the screen it probably closes the app um <laughs> And there's some other stuff like you get like the little notification bubble. Just so like the example they use would be on Instagram. If you have like a notification there, you can then long press that icon and then action the notification from the app icon rather than the notification shade. 
So it's all lots of uh, stuff that normal people will just end up using, um, but yeah, isn't, isn't very exciting sensible. to announce on a stage. Yeah. Um, and another one of the cool things that they announced, I thought, was part of Google Photos. Uh, this is a thing called suggested sharing. So Google Photos is pretty good. I don't know if you guys, Tamlin will probably use it. Do you use it? Mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> I just think because he had an Android phone. Do you use it? Or I do you... not use Google Photos. Okay. Well, he should. It's great. Um, he says this, but on the other hand, why? Um, well, I like it because I find the interface easier to use than Apple's. Even though I do use an iPhone most of the time, I still sort all my photos out in Google Photos. And if you sign up to a Google account, you get 100 gigabytes free storage, which Apple does not do. You get 5 gigabytes free storage with Apple. With um, photo sharing streams, mm-hmm. as far as I can I hate tell. Apple's photo sharing Why? software. They're brilliant. They're not. They are? They're not. They deleted oh. all my photos and now I hate them. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 Um, so the, the new thing with Google Photos, anyway. which is cool, um, obviously uh, it already kind of does this, but face recognition, it can see who you're taking pictures of. So if me, Dave and Tamlin went on a lads <laughs> weekend away. Can you imagine? And we were snapping away uh, on our phones, all the hilarious things we were doing. Um, <laughs> after we I got, totally after I got back from the weekend, I thought, oh, I can't be bothered to share all those photos with, with them. Yeah. What Google would do... Um, with this new feature called suggested sharing is it will ping me and say, hey, these 30 pictures of Tamlin that I've found on your phone and he will recognize which photos you're in. Mm. Um, Do you want to send them to him? And then it's just basically a a lazy way of looking thoughtful. And you can set it to do that automatically. So you can tell it, as as far as I understand. I think they've got some... They were slightly reserved in that, obviously, you probably don't want to share all your... <laughs> they made some <laughs> quite edgy jokes about how you probably wouldn't want to share all the photos with your wife and how he, the guy was saying, so I could I could set it to send pictures of my kids to my wife and I could set it to be a date uh, after I've met her, of course, <laughs> as though he has, like, photos... Wife of girlfriends before, girlfriends he, met before he met his wife. Yeah. Um, that's not totally unsavory, is it? No, but the way he put it was quite funny. Um, and he didn't even realise he was doing it. Nice. Uh, but I don't, I don't know. Um, that looks like something that people might want to do. One of the more cool things about Google Photos as well, they did this example of taking, it's very American, taking a picture of your daughter at baseball practice through the fence. And, you know, like the, the sort of diamond-shaped fences you get. Chain link. Chris, yeah. Chain link, that's the one. Um, it, so it claims if you take a picture of your daughter through that, she's standing there ready to bat. Um, on the phone, you will be able to, like, take the fence Edit away. Edit out the fence, Just, yeah. The entire thing goes away. It's mental. Which is and is, that, is that limited to baseball games and I probably only American sports, yeah. <laughs> no baseball uh, detected cannot function. <laughs> um You've leapt ahead, you've confused cool. me now. So we're talking about Google Photos. Sorry, it's all um, part of Android though, isn't it? I suppose it is. Sorry. Um, obviously uh, <laughs> what's the photo book uh, Photo company? Books Photo is... Box are gonna be shaking in their boots. Or oh, Shutterfly. Yeah. Shutter I don't haven't heard of either of those companies actually. I I use, use Photobox. Okay, um, but yeah, Photobox is just a thing where you can, from ten dollars, you'll be able to make a photo album on your phone and then order a physical hardback book of it. Yeah, so this is already something that a lot of people do a lot of the time, and there's plenty of companies that um, cater for this need. What Google can do is bring machine learning to the uh, to the party. That's what's missing. Yes, exactly. Because I can speak from experience that making a book in Photobox, as as good a service as it is, um, is it's hard work. Yeah, so like um, after our lads weekend, it would send like 30 <laughs> pictures of, do you want to make a photo book of yeah. lads weekend? Lads, lads, lads. And yeah, it would suggest 30 photos of 
I don't know, the most fun things we were doing. And then, like you say, through machine learning, just sort of collect them into a nice presentable thing in time order, blah, blah, blah. And then just charge you, for, and then charge you for it. Which subject, is, yeah. And people probably will do that as well. But um, they're, they're reducing the friction as much as possible. Yeah. The, the problem at the moment is that we take lots of photos and then there's a lot of work involved in processing them, in choosing the ones we want to keep. Um, and they're actually bothering to print them. It's the thing, yeah, because I, I have a, a thing with like taking phone, pictures on a phone. I, I want to take more pictures, and I try to. But then, like you say, I, I never bother going back and looking over them. Yeah, exactly. And I just have thousands of photos sometimes of just nothing. And if there's a better way to collect them all into... I like the, I like the thing that they was also saying, this is partly also part of Google Lens, which is, I think it's going to be a standalone app, but it's, it's something that's built in to Google Photos, and it will be anyway, and into Google Assistant. And it will be able to pick up on what you've taken a photo of. So it's like a retros- it's like a retrospective image search kind of thing. So if we if we were taking pictures of, um, if you go on like a holiday and you take pictures of the receipt in case you lose it or something, or you take a picture of a building, when you mm. get back and you've forgotten what you took an interesting picture of because you saw so many... I don't know churches and museums or whatever, or I don't know strip clubs and that kind of thing. Whichever, whichever kind of holiday you're going on, and then you can look at the photo afterwards. And if you tap on, if you tap on it or whatever, how you ever you interact with it, Google will be able to tell you what that building was. Like this was right. the Empire State Building, or um, this is Papa John's in <laughs> Walthamstow or something. And then like yeah, <laughs> good holiday they, that. that and, <laughs> and if there's like a, a phone number on the front, you can just click that part of the image and, and it, it, pull it into your contacts. It will just, right? just call it or whatever. Yeah. And then the one that at the second loudest cheer of the night was. Uh, for when you take a pic, you can take a picture, or not even a picture actually. It's like because so, lens will be like an AR viewfinder, right? And you can hover it over when you when you go on your mate's house, and there's like a twelve-letter long confusing Wi-Fi password on the back of the router. Nice. You just hold Google Lens up to it; it will recognise what you're doing, and it will actually it recognise the context and, as well that this is a Wi-Fi password. As well. So not only will it recognise that you're looking at a Wi-Fi router to get the password, it will then take that password and enter it for you automatically. This is all amazing. That's pretty cool. If it works. If it works. Did you get to try any of this stuff out? At the- no, it's still unreleased, and it, all these things will be US only first. Um, everything was US, US first. Um, so when, yeah. when can we expect any of it to drip down to the UK? I, well, Google, to, to segue again, and probably ruin David's script, Google, <laughs> Google Home, as an example, the... The, the Amazon Echo esque speaker, um, that was in the US at least six months as a piece of hardware before it got anywhere else. Mm. And yesterday they announced this; it's going to enter more regions now. But it did take a long while for us to get that. Um, so I would imagine by the end of the year, the end of the calendar year, because we won't get Android O as a, as a full operating system download, or even on Google phones as a stable download, probably until the like summer end of summer, and then it will take uh, even longer to get into every other OEM. Mm. This is the frustrating thing about Android, isn't it? That you don't yes. get this. Because I've, I've got a Pixel here, which I've already downloaded Android I want to. So if you've got a Pixel or a Nexus device, you can uh, opt into the public beta right now. Um, it's very easy to do. And you just have to agree that you're probably going to get some slight bugs and unstable software. But for, yeah, for everyone else, particularly manufacturers who have uh, like sort of heavy Android skins like Samsung uh, or LG, who, who aren't very stock, it, it can take months until you get the, the update. Would you recommend that people download the beta? Um, Is this one of those, no, don't put it on your primary we, work phone? Yeah, situation? we have the privilege of um, having more than one phone knocking around. So we, we can just use this um, device that we've got here to like test it out and whatever. And it's not the end of the world if it kind of bars me or blocks me or whatever. Um, I'd probably the same that we would say, yeah, for an iOS update as well. Don't Probably don't download it if it's the only phone you've got. 
Yeah, I, I always but it, think, is, it is fun to mess around with it. There's, yeah, there's a limited. I'm never really sure totally why most people do it because you get it this early on, it's going to be very flawed, um, and it, as you said, it may it may damage. Or well, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's good just making device. more public something that was always for developers anyway. Yeah. Well, it's, it's more for their conference. benefit than for ours, really, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you get to brag. I suppose you get to show off. For our point it's of view, a pretty we're pretty thing to show off about. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, it's good for us because we're going to write about it. But yeah. the man on the street, I, I don't know if it's a great idea to get. Uh, this early in the beta? No, probably not. But I probably wouldn't say so. Um, if I can drag you back to AR, yeah, I was going to ask you about VPS. Yeah, um, that was pretty cool. Um, again, it's something for developers to work on, and there are different use cases. VPS is Visual Positioning System, which is a Google technology, and the example they used was if you have your phone on you, it can learn the space around you. So if you were in it, it'd be. In my head, it would be particularly good for merchandising in shops, physical shops, because you'll see where people, I don't know who depends if companies can collect that data. But what they were saying as well would be, I'm not explaining this well at all. It's probably because I don't understand it. Um, if you're walking around a place, your phone will learn where things were and it will, it will learn to like return you to those places. If Does you this mean you have to be was. constantly showing it everything? I don't know. I was live blogging this <laughs> and I, I skimped on some of the details of this particular yeah. thing. But it was saying, for example, it could help people with uh, visual uh, impairment yeah. uh, to learn frequently visited spaces. And I don't quite know. I think it was more of a, like an open thing for, for developers to try and take it on. I know, I know it's not so much of a Google thing because they largely do the software. I know they do some handsets as well. But um, when are manufacturers going to catch up to like all the battery draining from from all these new features? Right. So yeah. I know, like the was it the P two, LG P two. Uh, there was a Lenovo P two recently, which has really good battery life. That's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. And like that's that's pretty much the the best battery you're going to get at the moment. And that's yeah. about two days or something of like moderate use. Yeah. Um, but most new handsets aren't going to be able to. You're not going to be able yeah, to make they, use of all these features. Without. They, did, they did address this slightly, so that's a good point. The Lenovo P2 um, and there's a there's a phone called the Moto Z Play. They have ridiculously good battery life, and it's because those manufacturers have taken a mid-range chipset, which is the Snapdragon 65. <laughs> Just you can guys can write that down. Um, <laughs> and it's 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 a it's a processor that doesn't power, that doesn't fire on all cylinders. Basically, it doesn't need to. And for the sort of things that the consumers who buy it are doing, it's quite low level. But then the battery efficiencies are massive and you will get over two days out of them. Um, the only time they actually talked about battery life was a very small bit when they were talking about the, the vitals of Android O. And it was more scaling back on background processes because Android, compared to iOS, runs background processes all the time. And it's quite hard with all these different sort of developers and platforms and hardware to make them run more efficiently. And it's something that they were addressing, but they only addressed it for about 30 seconds. And it was just kind of, yeah, that was the, all they said about battery life. It's going to be a bit more lean in terms of what's going on in the background. Yeah, like if you, if, if, it'll, it'll be a bit more intelligent as to what you need to run as a background process. Mm. If you're running a uh, Maps app and you need turn-by-turn directions, obviously it's not going to turn it off. But um, I don't know, as a bland example, if you close Facebook, it will just kind of shut down. or It doesn't need to reload everything all the time in the background. Mm. Um, so hopefully, but yeah, I mean, the battery just has to be bigger, basically, and phones aren't going to get any bigger. But that's all about compromises, I guess, because yeah. Apple, in turn, used to always get a load of flack for the fact that they don't work in the background that you shut mm. down, and <clears throat> or you move to a different app, and the previous app effectively becomes a static image of it instead of yeah. continuing to run. Yeah. But that has payoffs in terms of good battery life. So, yeah, it does. Uh, so it, presumably there'll be some people that won't like this. But. Yeah, I, <clears throat> yeah, I think that most people, I think most consumers probably want both. 
And yeah. I think this is just a presentation which is kind of saying, you can't really have both, but developers yeah. kind of understand the process more, well, that, than, more than I do. A bit of a tangent here, but yeah. do you think that will ever be achievable? Um, I, think, I think the actual battery technology will have to change. Mm. I don't think with the current way the lithium-ion batteries like lose their charge and how hardware is currently going, I don't personally think it will get any better before the battery tech has some sort of breakthrough. I, I don't really see how... Um, it's ever going to get drastically better until people change their priorities. Because at the moment... People won't do that, though. Exactly. At the moment, if you have a new phone which is brought out, if you have two phones that come out at the same time and one of them has got thinner and better graphics and big screen, and the other one has just got a better battery life, people will always get the one which has all the exciting new features. They always say they want battery life. But I think in practice, yeah, I think companies simply yeah. realise that it's not a sexy thing to talk about on stage, even mm. though it's practical and it's what they should be doing because we've reached peak smartphone and who cares about a bigger a, processor a at good, this point? Yeah, exactly. A good example of that is the Moto phone I mentioned. Um, Moto don't sell too many but compared to other manufacturers, but they, are, they have been making some good products recently. And so they had the Moto Z last year, which is the premium flagship one, which is like five millimetres, which is ridiculous, thin. Uh, no headphone jack, um, s- small battery and everything, but it's this really premium high-end processor. And then they have the Z Play, which is really thick um, and has like a mid-range processor, but it's got incredible battery life and it's like half the price. But no one bought it. Yeah, <laughs> but exactly. Perhaps it's a bad example because maybe nobody bought either. But yeah, they, they, they did like a mid-range cheaper one for like £350 with like an amazing battery. But still you kind of, even I was just sitting there looking at them, I was like, oh, I really want the thin one. <laughs> Which yeah. is really inconvenient to my life. <laughs> this, is, this is decades of advertising yep. taking its effect on our brains. So we exactly. just want the newest, shiniest thing. We don't want the most practical. Um, the the thing I'm literally most excited about is battery life. Yeah. I don't know what that says about me, but no, no, no. I, it, I hate carrying around a power pack and yeah, all that it's a pain. Yeah, um, there are phones out there that are addressing it, but like David says, it's not a sexy marketing thing. Even though every year they say, "Oh, we got one hour extra out of the iPhone this year for battery life," people don't buy it for that reason. Mm-hmm. They buy it because it's an iPhone and segue google <laughs> assistant is now on the iphone in the us not not in the uk yeah <laughs> um, what is, all right so for the for the basics yeah what is google assistant google assistant is a voice activated on phone assistant that can help you do things so a bit like siri but slightly more conversational so is that, siri is so it can understand sort of uh, colloquial language yeah it, it, the kind of way they said that they like to think about assistant is it's not like how you would type something into google it's how you would just have a conversation with somebody so if we wanted to find out um the, the, the weather the photos from the lads holiday yeah exactly but like <laughs> that's, that's maybe not a good example because i wouldn't google that but <laughs> <laughs> if you wanted to know what the weather was like in i don't know winchester on yeah. next saturday you type weather winchester saturday into google but if you talk to somebody if i went up to you and said that you would <laughs> we'd be that is how you talk to me <laughs> so you'd say uh, okay google what's the weather gonna be like in winchester on saturday and then the thing that Google Assistant can then do, as well as hopefully display the correct answer, is you can then continue the conversation with it. So you say, what about in the evening? Or can you always display that in cell? My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, 
Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Celsius and things like that. Um, and it's different to Siri in that I think it's probably slightly more natural and it does work slightly better more frequently. Mm. Um, there are things it's not very good at as well. Um, and on the iPhone, I don't know how it's really going to work because Siri is integrated, obviously. You hold down the power, is it the power button? No, the home button, the sorry, home button. Home button. Uh, and, it, and it fires up. And or, it's you, the same, or you just say, hey, Siri. Exactly. And the same on Google phones, you say, okay, Google. Um, and Or you just hold down the home button. Uh, whereas Google Assistant on the iPhone will be a standalone app. Yeah, because you've got a Siri, what's it called, Siri Kit, the API. Yeah. So in theory, they should be able to um, uh, plug it into most of the rest of the um, operating system. But there's always that feeling that Apple... Like we were talking about this earlier about Apple Maps and Google Maps and the problem on uh, when you do Google Maps driving directions that iOS just doesn't really look after it. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't stop notifications from popping up and distracting you in the way that it would on Apple Maps. So you always think, what well, is Google Assistant going to be as convenient all the way through as Siri? Even if it's I a see, better yeah. no, totally. I, um, I th- platform. I personally, maybe slightly pessimistically, but it probably isn't far from the truth. This is just Google getting onto iPhone in order for iPhone users to be more inclined to buy into some of the other services, I think. Yeah. Apple is still without a home speaker like an Echo or a Google Home. And if you have iPhone users intrigued and downloading um, a free Google Assistant app, it's going to start pushing them more Google services. It will. I wouldn't be surprised if it sort of yeah, puts them towards stuff like Google Photos, buying the Google Home thing and just using Google services more. I think if they can get that onto those iPhones, that's pretty good for Google, even if people probably won't use it that much. Well, related to that point, uh, a guy I follow on Twitter, Benedict Evans, I I don't know if this is true, but he says that Google Assistant ignores uh, the iPhone's own calendar and contacts. Probably. um, Even though it it can have access to them, and and iOS does give those those apps free range into other um, companies' products. So what you have you ha- to use it? You have to be using Gmail. Google Calendar. You have to be using yeah, exactly. Google Calendar and it's quite so, clever. The, yeah, it's a, that, that's um, that's a marketing play rather than a. This is a yeah, this is total marketing play. play. Yeah. So that means that fewer people will want to use Google Assistant because it's less well integrated. But the ones that do use Google Assistant are more likely to then be dragged into the Google 
So, yeah, and I, I suppose yeah. the, the end goal for Google, which still has a sort of quite fledgling hardware business, is next time somebody goes, I really love this, I'm going to get a Pixel, I'm not going to buy an iPhone. Yeah. I'm going to get the better version of Google Assistant where yeah. everything is integrated. Yeah. It's a clever move. Um, ooh, we've been talking for a long time. So what about Android, yeah. <laughs> Android Go? That was the last thing I was going to talk yes. about. Um, and still... Uh, Google did a quite well of disguising that they've tried this before and it didn't really work. Uh, Android One was a program where you had hardware and software made, sort of developed by Google for developing countries uh, or just for those who can't afford high-end hardware for Android to run stably on those things and giving developers the opportunity to make software that um, is more optimized for those conditions. So Android Go is the, their second go at it uh, and it's more it's more software-based. They're not going to be developing hardware. And it's... Well, the country they focus on is India, because apparently there are now more Android users in India than in the United States. Um, uh, sort of devices that people may be even using to go on the internet for the very first time or owning a device for the first time that's able to get them online. And it's just uh, for devices that run a gig or less of RAM. And considering most high-end phones now run about four or six, uh, they're quite cheap devices. But you want to, yeah. if you try to run full Android Nougat on one of those things, it's just going to clog up and just not work. There's not enough memory. Could you consciously run uh, Android O on a high-end phone in order to get better battery life? Run Android O? Uh, Android Go. Oh, right. Um, I don't Deliberately think under, so. under demand. I think, it, I think they might limit it to... Um, and again, again, it was unclear about how this um, software would make it onto those phones. Um, but it, it will, it will prioritise, for instance, like the, the light versions of Twitter and Facebook in the App Store and things like that. And there's some quite prominent data saving features because we're maybe in a position where we don't have to worry about spending data to watch that YouTube video on the bus or whatever. But people, it will tell you how many megabytes of data you're going to use before you watch something. Um, you can download and save for later, so you can watch on Wi-Fi or whatever things like that. Nice, pretty clever. But we talk well, absolutely the ages. Will any of those features come to other areas of Android? Because that sounds quite. That sounds quite cool, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah um, they didn't address that. Um, you would hope that if probably if, if it makes it to like a full um, high end version of Android, it would probably be something that would be optionally turned on and off within mm. the settings. Um, but it seemed quite cool. You can you can like preview YouTube videos in sort of like a ten sort of stop start frame by frame thing, so you can even decide if you want to watch it. If you think, mm. oh, that looks rubbish, I'm not going to spend my data on that. Um, and it it just looked quite very good. Yeah, <laughs> it looked good. If it works, if it works, it just depends how they're going to distri- distribute that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, well, let's go around the room. Uh, question: IO, AO, or there's three answers this time. Oh, or YO, YO, Y. Tamlin. There's three answers. There's three. <laughs> that was so, two. So there's, no, there's three. There's the standard one, IO. Mm. There's a really good one, Ayo, or there's a bad one, Y-O, Y-O, Y. I'll go with Ayo. The middle one? No, the first one. Well, that's yep. the medium. Fine. <laughs> okay, you're, all right, you're Ayo. Henry, what's your answer? Ayo. That's a good one. Thanks. Nice. I'm going to say uh, Ayo. I, I didn't even talk about half the things. Sorry we went on for too long. But if, well, yes. uh, yeah, if you want to check out more on, on uh, pcadvisor.co.uk, obvs. Do it. Yeah. Nice. Um, we'll be back in a minute to talk about WannaCry. Tamlin McGee, um, why do you want to cry? <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> is it because you just listened to Henry Burrell talking about Google for 28 minutes? Sick burn. Well, David, <laughs> um, there's there's been a, a ransomware attack that's been dominating the headlines pretty much all over the world 
uh, starting last Friday, so a week ago when this podcast goes live, um, which has kind of wrought, wrought havoc uh, in a way that perhaps most contemporary viruses haven't done. Um, Organisations being really Ill- ill-prepared to deal with it, uh, NHS hospitals being shut down and so on. It's called WannaCry. All right, first of all, why is it called WannaCry? Because it makes you want to cry. Nice. <laughs> Fair enough. And what happens when you get WannaCry? Or you said the NHS. Is it only companies and no, organisations that get it? Or no. Ordinary people get it? Too? Absolutely anyone's vulnerable to it. Basically, okay. um, once once the once the ransomware is on your system, it will encrypt all your files and a piece of, it will run a piece of software that will demand a Bitcoin payment of between $300 and $600, roughly, uh, to unencrypt your files. Right. And should people pay that? No, there's 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 been there's been absolutely no evidence of um, <clears throat> of anyone getting their files back who's paid so far. Uh, but the the reason why this this virus is so interesting is because it's based on something called Eternal Blue, which was an exploit that was le- that was held onto by the NSA, which is the American Intelligence Agency, um, and leaked by a group that called themselves the Shadow Brokers earlier this year. And it sounds like something straight out of a, a Mr. Robot episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, Eternal Blue uses something called a server message block protocol in Windows to kind of understand the uh, the the way files are shared on the local er- on the local area network and the wider net- network that connects to the internet. So the ransomware kind of it's a combined effort between your typical ransomware that locks files and a worm because it self propagates as well. So after it's after it's encrypted all your files, it then sends it to what everybody in your contact list, or it, it tries to find um, hosts on the other hosts on the local area network, and then also um, through the through the internet as well, depending on open ports and so on. Right. Okay. So it sounds like we've got a few people who maybe are to blame here. Um, See, so there's there's like a, a, a vulnerability in Windows mm-hmm. that was then discovered but kept secret by the NSA. Yeah. So and then shared by a group of hackers. So the vulnerability was made known early this year, and then the shadow brokers said they, they had access to it, and they leaked it early this year as well. Microsoft actually patched it for all the sort of contemporary and supported Windows systems. Um, so if you had Windows Update turned on, you were probably not vulnerable to it. But the problem is, uh, organizations like the NHS, who are running older versions of XP, for example, uh, who didn't, who apparently didn't have a, a contract renewed that would have carried on supporting XP, uh, were left vulnerable because they didn't get the patch. Is XP even supported now? No, it stopped being supported officially in 2014, but uh, organisations still running it. So the NHS, for example, has a lot of hardware that will run on XP. Um, it's you know the biggest employer in the UK, so that's an absolutely enormous suite to upgrade to the latest yeah. license or whatever. Um, so yeah, it was running an old version of XP, and but didn't they it got didn't hit. they contract Microsoft to sort of update it with like a one-off payment? It wasn't like a five million pound contract they paid to yeah have, that, to have it that that was ended in 2015 that was 2015 right mm-hmm. Grim. so <laughs> so windows xp support finished in 2014 uh the nhs trusts were covered until 2015 and from what i've read so far anyway uh, the government didn't sign off on extending that contract to keep it updated Great. Do, we, do we know and, which member of the government is at fault here who who should have signed that up I mean, I've I've heard both Hunt, Jeremy Hunt, and also um, Theresa May as well, who was Home Secretary at the time. Um, but what's what's interesting about it is I, I think you know when when there's big cyber attacks or whatever, we tend to see the effects 
just in the digital domain. So, you know, people's people can't access their files, which is what happened here, or, yeah. you know, they have their passwords stolen or money goes missing or whatever. But here we're seeing like a real world physical impact whereby yeah. um, because, say, patient records were inaccessible and people had to disconnect from the wider NHS system, hospitals were having to turn people away at A&Es, uh, GPs were cancelling surgeries for the day, uh, prescriptions couldn't be managed, operations had to be delayed. Yeah. Uh, we, we don't know if anyone's died from it, but... It's, it's possible. Surely they have. Yeah, yeah there's a it's bloke possible. who was like all cafted up and ready to go into his heart operation. That's right. And then they were like, nah, so was... That's right. Well, I've, I mean, it's nowhere near as serious, but my, my daughter was going to have an appointment, just, you know, fairly routine. Yeah. Can't get an appointment. They mm-hmm. can't get on the system. Just can't do not going to happen yeah, at all just now. It's, it, it is, yeah, you're right. I mean, people aren't aware of security because it doesn't affect normal people in their normal lives. But this is absolutely vital, essential services being affected. Mm-hmm. I think one of the one of the earliest examples, well, the most the most um, headline-grabbing, fairly recent example of like physical infrastructure being attacked was the Stuxnet virus, which was a joint American-Israeli operation to shut down nuclear centrifuges in Iran, um, which it did successfully. But in terms of things that have affected the West, physical infrastructure, it's like nothing that we've seen before. Europol described it as unprecedented in scale, and also impact. But what the interesting thing is, is well, another interesting thing about it is that it's not been successful in raising money. So right. to date, um, as of today, it's raised $81,958. But that's with more than 150 countries affected and more than 300,000 systems being infected. Mm. Do we know roughly how many people that would mean have paid up? So you said it was... I can't remember how much you said it that was demanded. 300 Between three hundred and six hundred dollars, I think it's three hundred at first, and then six hundred dollars within seven days. Uh, I'm bad at maths, so, so you that's about two hundred and fifty people have paid up. So it hasn't been effective in terms of raising money, which brings in more questions about you know what the motive was in the first place. Is yeah. it political? It, well, no one knows. It's the short answer. I heard um, that it was linked to North Korea. <laughs> I mean, there's there's some. There are some private security researchers who linked s- some lines of code to something called, if you just let me check my notes, uh, the Lazarus Group, which is... This really does sound like a TV show. Yeah, right? Hackers are amazing. <laughs> there, 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 was something in, there was something operating out of China, allegedly called the Lazarus Group, group which was supposed to be um, behaving, on, uh, acting on behalf of North Korea. I think the Sony film hack was related to them. But the researchers who have said that have also said that just because there's similarities in code doesn't mean that it's necessarily them. Yeah, Um, could be a false flag. Absolutely, because it's really easy to plant code that suggests it's from one group when it's not. You know, it's it's a very difficult thing to trace. Right, okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's a a lot to take in, isn't it? Yeah, it is a little bit. Um, The problem is now solved... Or is it an ongoing problem? I mean... Do people need to worry? Y- yes, <laughs> in short. Um, I, I mean, just mean in general, I mean about this. I mean, ransomware isn't a new thing. It's been going on for nearly a couple of decades, I think, at least, right. in some form or another. Um, the scale of this one is something that we haven't seen before. Um, on Friday... There was an independent security researcher called, who calls himself Malware Tech, who discovered a, a kind of kill switch right. in the code. So when the code operates, it 
checks a domain name, which is a, a series of sort of nonsensical letters and numbers, really long domain. And provided it can it can't access this domain, then it carries on infecting. So what he did was registered the domain, and that stopped attacks for a little while. Right. Stopped it spreading further. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or at least systems that were infected by it, the code checked the domain, found it was registered, and didn't carry out the ransomware attack. Mm. But that was Friday, and the code's evolved now to um, either check different domains or there's, there's other variants appearing that are in like different languages or copycat versions and so on. And this guy that fixed it then got outed by the tabloids. Yeah, yeah, which that's is just, right. Which is just unbelievable. He, he, said, he said over and over on his Twitter that he didn't want to talk to the press um, and didn't want his real name out there, but they... They found his real name and published it anyway. Yeah, it's already a horrible article about that. And the headline was just the guy that, yeah, fixed WannaCry failed his GCSEs. Like <laughs> yeah. It's like, bloody hell. But thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, cheers, guys. He, he, he's literally saved life. Yeah. And doesn't want to be... Doesn't, know, want, doesn't want any credit. And he's just being like, vilified. It's horrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, they go, on those, they go on those sort of crusades, don't they? You remember when they were trying to find out who Burial was? And it was like, why does anybody need to know that? You know Burial? The well, dubstep yeah. guy. Dubstep, dubstep. Mm-hmm. Banksy and shit like that. Exactly. Banksy and burial and malware tech. <laughs> well, okay, so... Sitcom um, waiting to happen. <laughs> the, um, <laughs> the evil people who did this, um, if I can paint it in black and white for you, mm-hmm. uh, they've, so they've not got very much. They've got 80, 80 grand out of it. They've got 80 grand. No Is anybody else going to gain from this? Potentially. I mean... At the moment, there's there's theories as to who these manufacturers maybe. <laughs> well, yeah, actually, stocks jumped in um, Sophos and a bunch of other antivirus manufacturer um, providers yeah. on Monday. I think yeah. uh, the shares kind of went through the roof as people rushed to buy <laughs> security stocks. Mm. And what about Windows? I mean, Microsoft itself is going to gain when people update Windows, right? I mean, that's what it wants. We them can't to do, update right? from XP, so you'd have to buy new hardware. Yeah. I mean, it's. It's so complicated as to where to lay the blame if you want to lay the blame. Because, I mean, Microsoft has said intelligence agencies should be disclosing these vulnerabilities, not holding on to them. Yep. Uh, the Shadow Brokers, which is the group that released Eternal Blue, which is what WannaCry is based <laughs> Eternal on. Eternal Blue by the Shadow Brokers. Eternal <laughs> sounds Blue. Like, sounds like a shoegaze band. <laughs> Eternal, Eternal Blue was was found by the NSA right. and released by the Shadow Brokers. Ah, uh, they covered who, it who claim they've got a bunch of other exploits that they're sitting on, also taken from the NSA, which they're now planning to release once every month in a package they've described as like a wine club. <laughs> so you'll be, able to, <laughs> you'll be able to pay and get access to all these Lovely things. Um, but in short, you know, there's, there's no use scaremongering, but yeah, like it's, it's, it's worth being mindful that ransomware is a thing. I think if there's one positive that's going to come out of this maybe people will be a bit more mindful of the fact that these systems are really easy to compromise i mean mm. you can it's easy to launch a ransomware attack you can buy ransomware as a service on the dark web for about 10 quid yeah. anyone can do it so um if it gets people like practicing basic security culture then maybe that'll be a positive from this but um it's, it's certainly indicative of the times we're living living in in terms of you know this sort of stuff isn't going away do you think people will see this happening and the success of it, and it will encourage them into a hacking uh, career? That made, that made me sound about seventy-five years old. <laughs> Is it going to encourage more black hats? That or oh, that was even worse. You know what I mean? You know, I know what, what that means. Yeah. You know, black hats are bad hackers. Oh, the guy right. that fixed it, he's an ethical hacker. Right. Do they call right. them white hats anymore? White hat hackers. White hat. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. Is the answer? Is the non-answer to that? Fair enough. Um, but I, I think. 
<laughs> there, there have been various calls, like from Microsoft, for instance, but also uh, a bunch of the, the papers and the tech press, uh, including us, saying, you know, is this going to be the wake-up call that people finally need to take cybersecurity really seriously, you know, potentially lost lives in hospitals and so on. And the answer to that is hopefully, but probably not. General public, probably not. I think it's still still perceived as something that isn't their problem. Yeah. No, yeah, that's true. As in, they were affected by it and they'll be outraged by it. But it's such a big thing that you don't feel like you can action it on a one-to-one basis. I I talked to a, a guy from a vendor called Carbon Black, um, a couple of months ago, talking about uh, the idea of a digital Geneva Convention, which Microsoft is also pushing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and he reckons, you know, he was an, he was an ex-marine, and he said, you know, he he loves the Geneva Convention in terms of it protects people, but it took a series of horrible events before countries got together and decided this sort of thing needs to exist to protect people. Yeah. And it's, you know, who will who's to say whether a few days with the NHS out of order will be enough of a exactly. shock to make people realise that like this say, is a real thing that can happen, you know. And they, they could it's not easily, abstract. easily be done to, like, scary stuff like air traffic control and things like that. Absolutely. that sort of system when you have to actually pay. <laughs> yeah. Or people fall out of the sky. And, like, again, we don't, we don't know the motivations of these people, but it, it does make you think, if it is financial, like, what if... <laughs> what if there was some kind of actor or multiple actors who um, developed malware specifically to wreck havoc on systems and two or three of them were successful and spread at the same time and, you know, would we be able to firefight effectively enough to mm. to combat that? It, this this yeah. last week seems to suggest that, you know, we'd be able to get over it eventually, but you could cause, cause considerable damage and... Well, it's, this time. week it suggests that we we can get away with it if we're extremely lucky and somebody and an individual is very clever. And mm-hmm. they, they, I mean, it gives me absolutely no confidence in the ability of the systems themselves to survive. It was just mm-hmm. some guy in his bedroom spotted a flaw in the code mm-hmm. and did something off his own back and then got punished for it as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, mm. I, I went to a, went to a roundtable with uh, Raj Samani who is at McAfee. How do you pronounce that? McAfee? McAfee. Oh, McAfee. McAfee. Let's go with that one. It sounds better. But he also advises Europol, and he was saying that, um, you know, the technology industry talks about information sharing all the time now, but in terms of, like, criminal gangs and making malicious code better, they've been doing it for ages. Uh, There's a parallel between the way this code has evolved and the Mirai botnet, um, which happened earlier this year, which was an Internet of Things botnet to to launch massive ddos attacks yeah um <clears throat> that code got open sourced and it got made more sophisticated and better yeah i think we're gonna be scaring people um right now and maybe we should stop um but thank you <laughs> it's also really really hot in this room <laughs> yeah it is uh, it's the hot white the white hot tech heat or something uh, i've got a question <laughs> Uh, do you think wanna cry, wanna die, wanna pie, or I wish I could fly? Um, I don't really know what any of those mean. Henry? No, I think I still wanna cry. It's Good. still quite scary. Um, Tamlin? I wish I could fly. And I wanna pie. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, and tune in next week for more UK Tech Weekly shenanigans. Uh, bye bye. Say goodbye, guys. Bye. See you. UK Tech Weekly Podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.